What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Ooey Tea. It's a tea I like to drink, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. Today is the day Million Dollar Weekend goes live. It's a bright green book. I cannot wait for you to read it. We have worked years, if not decades, putting all this together, and it is a book for you to help realize how amazing you are. That's what I realized through myself with this book journey where I was afraid. I was happy. I was sad. It was like a rom-com, but in real life. And the ending of the story, which is the beginning as well for a lot of us, is that we are all capable of so much more. And it's not just for more for more sake, but we're capable of doing great things. And this book will help you realize that for yourself. I know it's helped me realize it for me. And I've seen now literally tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people are going to be inspired by the Million Dollar Weekend. So go get it for yourself at milliondollarweekend.com. Change your life and tag me at Noah Kagan. I want to see you with the book. Definitely makes me smile seeing everyone out there change their own lives. Go read it and change your own life. Now, in this conversation with John Yashai, go give him some love at his website, created.news. He interviews me, so we turn the tables, and he is a phenomenal interviewer. You can also check him out on YouTube and Instagram. He is very, very good. We talk about a lot of stuff within the book and within my own journey. So one, why does simplicity always win? So a lot of times when people are doing businesses, it's like, ah, oh, it's so complex, but maybe simple is beautiful and better. Two, what is the survey method and how do we use it in this book? You can use it in your business. And number three, how to find a worthy market and how to be worthy of yourself. You're going to enjoy those ear nuggets and a whole lot more. I am so excited that it is launch day and I just wish I was there to hug you in your earlobes and in your thing. If you're not a hugger, I'm not really a hugger, but I'll shake your hand, fist pump you, high five you. We did it. I'm proud of all of us. If you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more behind the scenes of Million Dollar Weekend, go back and listen to last week's episode with Mackenzie. She's a beta reader of the book. She talks about using the lessons learned in creating her $50,000 a year greeting card business. That is episode 338 in this feed. Again, if you want to get the book for yourself, it's at milliondollarweekend.com. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener, When Pandas Attack. They said, there are two things that I really look for when listening to podcasts. Actionable content and good-looking Jewish guys. They didn't say that second part. And engaging delivery. Noah delivers soundly on both. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. What a bright day for all of us out here in the world. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review on Spotify. Leave a review on iTunes. I love you. I'm going to shout you out, and I appreciate you leaving a little comment about how this episode inspires your own business and life journey. My goal, number one goal of selling a book is to get a 1,000 reviews. So that's something I learned from Zuckerberg, which is, have one singular goal to focus on. Yeah. So by December 31st, we wanted a thousand reviews. And what I mean by that, I want a thousand people who've bought the book that when the book launches January 30th, yeah. I'm like, can I literally message someone and say, hey, can you write a review? Honest, doesn't, if they hated it, I would want to know why. I'd want to learn and improve. Right. But I want them to be a part of it so that I can guarantee I hit my goal. That's been a way that I've had them be a part of the process. And this is something I've done with AppSumo. This is something I've done at mint.com and I've done with this book. How do you incorporate your customers as part of your business? They Always. want to be a part of it. Always. Yeah. They are excited to just be like, hey, you're doing a golf trip. Hey, you're doing a book. Like, I want to have a part of the book. Great. I love your help. What do you need help with yourself? And have them be a part of the experience. And there's a lot more to the, the beta launch team. But the number one thing was I asked people, hey, does anyone want to join my launch team? DM me on Twitter. Yeah. 300 people did it. I was like, oh, okay. Hey, do you mind just pre-ordering the book if you don't mind? And then I'll love for you to edit a specific chapter. And that was a way that I got people involved in the in the book. And really, I was able to help make a better book for them. Yeah. Everything you say, I'm like, I can't nod my head enough. It's like with my cartoons, I share the sketches with a bunch of people and they give feedback. The thing that's kind of interesting is we make business 
and even content creation, whatever type of thing you're doing, much harder on ourselves. Yeah. So for instance, the back of the book, the publisher sent me a version of it. And I was like, oh, this is just not good. And so then I redid it and I sent it to the launch team. I said, hey, here's a Google Doc with the new version of the back. You guys rip it apart. Yeah. And they're like, we don't know who this person is. We don't like how you've written this. We want to have a different example. So we can change it completely based on what our customers told us. Yeah. Pat Gostick is actually now doing about $10,000 a month. After reading the book, he was doing customer support jobs and now he's doing YouTube consulting. <laughs> and so it was using that. We kind of mirrored some of the back of the book from James Clear. Yeah. And then in terms of what you learn, people were like, well, what am I going to get out of the book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is all because our customers told us what they wanted. What they wanted. I feel like people crave to be part of the journey and then it makes the outcome better. They're happier with the outcome. But then a few people like actually like involve people in the process. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, our YouTube channel hit a million subs. I'm still replying to comments. There's not some person in a different country or even America replying. I like it. And most people are overcomplicating how they want to operate their business. Like at the end of the day, we come back to starting, getting going. Like I started YouTube shirtless. I started AppSumo just in a weekend. I started these things. You just get started and then you ask for things. In a nice way where you think it's beneficial for the other person. I do believe people that join our launch team, I'm like, hey, what is your business? What's going on with you? What's holding you back? How can I help you? Have you ever put out a frame dot? I do use frame.io to review. Yeah. Um, one of the most just fascinating things that I put out a um, frame link of one of my videos to my Discord community and everyone gave feedback on it. And you could kind of see like, oh, I got bored here. Change this, change this intro and all that. And it was just- Oh, that's interesting. And it's in our Discord, we have about- 3,400 people. So I didn't give it to everyone. I gave it to like folks who are active enough. Yeah. It's kind of like vetted and doesn't get leaked or whatever. Yeah. So if people get validation, it's like, holy shit, it works. Guess what? That's awesome. You start feeling more confident about yourself. Right, right. Now the question is, how do you start growing into the million and beyond? Yes. So there's really three stages that I, I just keep doing over and over that work. Number one is social media for growth. So for me, whatever platform you want to do, like you're on YouTube, I'm on YouTube. It could be LinkedIn. It could be Twitter. It could be podcast. There's so many different examples of people growing businesses from different channels. Yeah. But the point is find, pick one that works for you. And there's a lot in the book about how to get to that decision. And the second part though, is then you need email to actually make profit because social is how you're actually going to get this audience, but you have no control over that. Like, let's say you want to sell this mug tomorrow. Like if you want to actually promote it to people, yeah. you're like, okay, I have to make a video. Maybe you post in your discord. But the reality is, is that how do you actually communicate with people? If you had an email list, you could literally send an email right now. Got a mug. Does anyone want this mug? 10 bucks. Here's PayPal, Venmo, link, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And instantly you can have people pay you if that's a product they're really excited about. And so the reality that I basically has transformed AppSumo from $12 sale to an $80 million business, it was using social media. So doing ads, doing affiliate, doing other social media platforms, growing the audience, and then getting their email address so we can communicate with them and actually have them buy the different products we're promoting. Yeah. How big is AppSumo's email list? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So we have our net revenue target yes. of the business. And then we have an email revenue target that is his responsibility as a part of the net revenue. And I just know that. I know that he's hitting his target yeah. screen. And right now, Noah, you are a CEO of AppSumo, but yeah. you had taken a step down from that position. Yeah. You're like, tell me about that journey. Why did you take a step down from being CEO of AppSumo, given the rocket ship it was on? And then why did you say that? No, no, no. I want to get back into the rocket ship. It wasn't on a rocket ship. We got it up to three, four, five million dollars. And it was flat for about three years. And that was really tough. It was really hard. Everybody in their life faces a plateau. You do, I do, everyone will. And so at that moment, most people kind of like, well, it's not working. Let me move on to something else. And instead of giving up, I found someone who could run it instead. And so we found this guy named Eamon. And while he was running it, we started building other tools. And what was fascinating during that period is while we were building these other tools and we ended up building sumo.com, which became a $6 million AR business. It was email pop-ups. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And Eamon in that period of time basically actually was slowly growing up Sumo. 
And I've learned a lot from his leadership style, which is different than mine. And we both, uh, we complement each other. He was able to get past the plateau. What did he do to get past that plateau? So a few things happened. One, when you think about your business, are you in a market that's growing? When I started AppSumo, there was about 10 software products that I could promote. Today, there's about 10,000. So the market got bigger. So yeah. that I'm not, not to knock AIM, and AIM did a lot of things, but one, we were in a very growing market. Yeah, so that's why I say when you, you run the wave exactly. So as you're getting your business, go double check Google Trends. Is it going flat? Is it going down? Is it going up? Because software was skyrocketing. Did you do that at the time? I don't think there's Google Trends in 2010. Yeah. But it's something that now, if I were to, this is exactly what I do. And we have tutorials at milliondollarweekend.com where you can go see exactly how we do this. And it's like, oh, okay, this stuff just grew. So number one, there was a lot of tailwind in this yes, market. Yes. Number two, Eamon's superpower is consistency. My superpower is starting. Yeah. That's why I start Million Dollar Weekend. It's like start another thing and another thing and yeah. another thing. And you have 52 chances to do it every year. Yeah. And so what Eamon did was what's already working the business that we can just focus a lot more on. And so he took ads and built a team around the ads team. Then he saw that affiliate was working and built a team around affiliate. I was doing yearly deals. The team recognized like, why don't we try a lifetime deal? And then they got to lifetime deals. He ended up growing to about 15 people. They were able to get to around 50 to $60 million. Wow. Yeah. So those two things don't square my mind. You're saying that you like to like go from zero to one. You don't like it when it's like more mature. Why did you come back? I didn't want to come back. What happened? For me, everyone has a hero's journey in them. And does everyone want to face the hard thing that we're afraid of? Mm -hmm. And everyone can. And we talk about creator's courage in the book. Really creator's courage is being afraid and going after it anyways. And I was always afraid that I would ruin this business. So Eamon was running AppSumo.com. He started growing it. Chad, my business partner, ran Sumo.com. And I basically went and retired. And I was just afraid of facing myself. I was afraid of, I was afraid I would ruin it. I was afraid I'd like mess it all up and I'd have nothing to show for it. And so I was happy that Eamon was running. And one day he calls me and he's like, I'm quitting. I was like, can you just wait? And he's just like, why? You're making, he's making a lot of money. You have a lot of status. You have, you know, a team. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just not right for me. And I have a lot of respect for him. Even then and now I was like, did I respect you? Like there was the same decision. Like when I was at Intel quitting to go to Facebook, people were like, why would you quit Intel? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, no, this is not, that's not his dream right now. Yeah. And so I came back and I really wanted to not do the work. And I think this is the thing for everyone out there. Like what's the hardest thing you're avoiding right now? And how can you take one small step doing it today? And for me, the hardest thing I could do was running AppSumo and getting past it from zero to one. Now let's go one to 10. And it's definitely been the hardest work I've ever done. And it's also the thing I'm most proud of professionally. If you were to ask me two years ago before I came back, what's the thing I'm most proud of? It's totally not what you would have expected. We did this course, which a lot of the book is based on called Monthly 1K. I hated the whole year of doing it because it was so challenging. No one bought it. We tried to do this thing. Again, we tried to validate. No one bought it. Why aren't you buying it? Ah, uh, because I don't have accountability. Why don't you buy it? Because I'm afraid. Oh, we have to do some afraid things. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid of asking. I'm afraid of starting. Oh, okay. And we had to keep working on it for a year. It was the hardest year I ever worked. And our goal was to get 3333, 3,333 sales at $300. And it took almost a full year to do that. And until recently... I was so proud of that because it was so hard. Yeah. And I was proud that the product helped. I was proud that people got it. And it made me just realize for all of us, like we're generally proud of the things that are that we we want to do. And then it's hard. And then we accomplish it. Whether we get the external validation is separate. It's like, can we do the hard thing? Yeah. And so for me, going into AppSumo felt like such a challenging experience that I wanted to really avoid. And it's been for the past three years, a lot of mistakes. We can talk about that. It's been a lot of days I'm going to quit. And it's also been the most rewarding thing I've ever done professionally. Yeah. I want to talk about a lot of that because you're also like, you know, you're balancing a lot. You're starting the YouTube channel. For one moment, I want to go on these like Noah Kagan side quests. Yeah. And talk about, okay, so monthly 1K is interesting to me because, you know, you talk about like product services, experiences like the golf trip. 
But then like monthly 1K is an educational product, right? Yeah. How do the teachings of Million Dollar Weekend apply to somebody who's trying to put out an educational product, a course, like something like monthly 1K? Like how does it, is it just one for one? Is there certain things that you think people should vet? Like how would you help people who are trying to do that and are listening in the audience make sense of your teachings for that? You know, Pat, who's read the book, was probably the most interesting one. Pat has a day job in customer support, and he wanted to teach people to actually help them with doing YouTube consulting. And so he literally, from the book, followed it, was able to get a hold of a few people for YouTube. And now he's making, I think, around $10,000 a month doing YouTube consulting. And so the same thing applies with Monthly 1K. The problem we had is that our deals at AppSumo, it's like some deals would make 100000 and some would make nothing. So we're like, let's create our own product. Yeah. So I emailed our audience and said, hey, we want to have a live cohort. Will anyone pay a hundred bucks? You'll spend two days with me and Neville. So we brought six people to a room and we just tried for two days, seeing if we could help people start businesses. And they went away for another week. They paid you or you paid them? They paid us. They paid just to be part of almost like the focus group, like yeah. early days, like ideation. Process. So let's take a step back. Your original question was how, if someone wants to be a teacher, can start a business in a weekend? Yes. And you could actually start it in a day. We did the same way with Monthly 1K. We emailed our audience. We said, hey, we're looking for six people, $100, who wants to do it? And it was, we used to got six people to do it. They came to our office. We spent two full days teaching them everything we know about business. They went away for two weeks. We contacted all six of them and all six of them did nothing. And we're like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's go ask them what happened. Yeah. Because I thought we had validation. I thought people wanted it. They're like, we didn't follow up because we had no accountability. And what we realized is that they're afraid of starting, like kind of getting going and they're afraid of asking. Okay, let's add that into the course. Then we went back to the entire AppSumo audience. We emailed, I think at that time, maybe it was 150,000 people. We're like, we have this material. We've helped these people. We have this stuff. Does anyone want it? Put it out there. And it didn't sell. I mean, we went 100,000 people. I was like, we're guaranteed yeah, yeah, rich yeah. at this point. Yeah. And it's another great lesson of like, okay, people didn't buy it. Let me just go ask them why. So we contact different people. How come you're not buying it? The course at the time was called How to Make Your First Dollar. People were like, I don't want to make a dollar. I want to make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but we're like, no, I know, but you got to get your first dollar. Right. That's why the book is not called Dollar Weekend. People want to have a million dollars. Right. And that's the outcome they want. So we changed it from get your first dollar to how to make a thousand dollar a month business. Right. Okay. People started selling. Then we started saying, why, why aren't you buying? Well, the landing page doesn't explain anything. Well, what do you want it to explain? Well, I want to start this kind of uh, YouTube business. Okay. So we got someone who we can help in YouTube, put it on the page. We started looking at the words they were using, put it on the page. Then what we started doing is we would get people to buy. Like we had a few sales, go use the course and we would track where would they drop off. A lot of times they would drop off at a certain part. We would then, okay, how do we fix that part? We paid someone who was a customer that was in the material be like, hey, can you just explain why you're dropping off here? Oh yeah, because I know where the button is. Or, oh, this is really hard. You need to break it up into multiple pages. His name is Daniel Reisman. So over time, we were able to kind of keep iterating and working on this thing to then eventually through 12 months, able to sell 3,333. Wow. But again, I think the thing people expect is it just all magically works right away. Yeah. It validated that people were, yeah, we'll buy it. But then through working with these people and, and kind of sticking with it over time, we were able to end up accomplishing our goal. It's L-O-T all over again. It was a lot of listening. You listened for those two days. You provide the option of it. They gave feedback. They're like, no, no, maybe I just need to change the repositioning of it. And then continually repositioning it. And probably the other most shocking thing about that experience was how much we had to keep promoting it. Because I thought you email once and everyone who wants to buy your product buys. Yeah. Nope. We then had to do it with different specials. Like, hey, if you buy today, you'll get $25 AppSumo credit. Hey, if you buy today, maybe we'll get a software tool. Or how do we show a different case study? And then what ended up actually selling the most of Monthly 1K completely was when I just did it live. I'm like, I'm going to do Monthly 1K live so you can, and you'll choose my business idea. And in 24 hours, I'll make $1,000 profit. Like you do a live cohort or you do a live webinar? No, I live started a business oh, in 24 hours. Interesting. And so that was the number one seller of the course. And again, and we can talk about that. 
but it was trying things every month to see what would eventually get to uh, end up getting to our goal. Yeah. You have your blog. Okay, Doric, like what are other learnings about, you know, trying to validate a content-based product or educational product? I feel like that's such yeah. a, a thing that people are trying to do nowadays. I think the two biggest takeaways that I could recommend for anyone doing, wanting to do content or courses or coaching or anything of that sort, uh, it's twofold. Number one, do it live. Do it live. So most people, what they do is the wrong way. The wrong way is, I'm going to go sign up for some service, maybe it's Teachable or Thinkific, and then I'm going to spend a lot of time creating a lot of material, and then I'm going to put it on the internet and pray. The way that I like to do it is, let me go contact people I think might want this and actually just walk them through it manually. And you can record that process. And guess what? If no one buys it, great. That's not something they want to learn. So I think that's the most effective, quickest way to see if you can like actually- Recording and consulting call? Yeah, example. of course. You can record your calls. Mm-hmm. And you can literally sell that as a product. I've made these calls teaching these other people who doesn't even want it. Yeah, That can even literally be the sell. So that's part one, which is do it manually and you will understand that's what we did manually to find out, okay, do people want it and what actually is effective in teaching them? The second method that I find super, super effective, and we talked about this earlier, is your survey to sale method. So survey to sale method is when you are getting people to raise their hands that they want to be your customer. What does that mean? Let's say you have a small audience, 100 people, 50 people, maybe even smaller than that. You send a survey and you could do it via text. I generally like Google Forms. It's free. I like things that are free. It's my favorite price. Hey, I'm doing this thing where I want to teach people things. Here's some questions about it. And you're looking for people to raise their hand and say, yeah, I would like to learn that. Like, hey, what stuff are you struggling with? Hey, what would that do for you? Just ask questions in a survey. From the survey, you have people's email and their name and the problem if they actually want it. And you just contact the three people that are there or whatever you have. Said, hey, you have this problem. I think I can help you with it. Would you like to give me money? This is what we did for the book actually a lot in our marketing, which is something that a lot of we did the survey to sell method. I'd send out an email and in the email it said, hey, I want to come speak in different cities. Please fill out the survey if you're interested. So we had about 100 people would fill out the survey and said, hey, I'd love for you to come speak in my city. Then every person who submitted that, I then emailed and said, hey, you seem like you're interested in this book and, and me speaking. Would you mind pre-ordering and joining our launch team? You personally did that? Yeah. It was about a 80% open rate and then generally around 60% of people would buy. I surveyed via nokagan.com. I sent my weekly email and it was a thing. Hey, is anyone interested? They raised their hand. I already can tell this is someone who is ideally wanting to be a customer. I'm not asking them to do something they don't want to do. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, it's, it almost seems like the million dollar weekend is like the way you went about it uses a lot of the teachings in the book. Like what are some of the other things that you did to beta test or like get proof of concept? I mean, the whole book was tested because most people have a founder first mentality. And the idea here is like, I know what I'm doing. I've got a problem. Let me just go sell it to people. But then you have to have to have a customer first mentality. Yeah. What does your customer respond to? So when we were doing this beta chapters, there was stuff about, you know, the movie Point Break. Sounds familiar, but exactly. You don't know it. We had references to Point Break. <laughs> and it was like, people were like, what's the reference? Cut. Don't yeah. get it. Yeah. We had a lot of cliche lines that people were like, I, I don't get it. Cut. So customer first mentality is not overcorrecting for customers, which I've done that mistake. Yeah. And we can talk about that. But it's understanding, okay, where are they highlighting? What are they liking? These are people I want buying the book and having the benefit. So really getting them involved and asking them what they want and then delivering on that. What's the way you're doing it? Are they looking at a Google Doc? Like I'm trying to give people the tools to actually implement that. Are they looking at a Google Doc of the chapter and doing suggested edits? Yeah. Taking a step back, how do you apply this in all different aspects of business? Yeah. So if you're doing a, a YouTube video, can you send them the frame.io and get their feedback early on? Yeah. With the book, me and Tal Ross, who's one of the best business writers in the past decade, spent about 18 months putting the book together. And then we broke it up into each chapter. There's 10 chapters. We put each one up into a Google Doc. And I got 20 different beta readers per chapter. And then you give them a prompt, which was like, what is the thing you love? What thing you're confused? What thing was boring? And really what I looked for was things that multiple people highlighted. And all that in the book is now bold. I looked for sections that people didn't comment at all. And I cut those. So the book went from 65,000 words to around 40,000. So I'm like, let me just give you what you want. 
And then when things were confused, so we used to have a lot of models and a lot of different acronyms. Right. It's like, let me streamline and make these a lot more simpler so people will understand these things. You surveyed these folks who gave them the chapters. Yeah, it's been actually really fascinating where it's like, how do you keep learning and iterating and repeating? So we asked two, really two questions, which is like, what do you love and what's confusing? Yeah. And so you would notice that people were like, yes, this is great. And people would be confused, like, I don't get it. And then I'd also notice where they're not commenting. Yeah. Because that says a lot too. And I would basically try to understand, okay, they're not commenting here. Let me see if I can cut these things out because mm-hmm. they're skipping these parts. Yeah, yeah. And that would help streamline the book. And then when we gave people the book, we do these weekend cohorts. So every weekend, five people get the book. This is before, you know months before it's come out. Every weekend we've done it. We survey those people. To be like, what do you remember about the book? And then we use that in the marketing. We use that as we're talking to other people, same as we've done with Monthly 1K and with all the other stuff in our businesses. That is fascinating. No, you talk a lot about listening. Do, do you think that folks can listen too much and almost like overcorrect? Because like not all feedback is created equal. Like, well, what do you say to folks who are listening to the feedback, but maybe it's coming from somebody who doesn't have a lot of expertise or they're overcorrecting? Like, how would you yeah. find that balance? Have you ever heard the idea that Every company, if you A-B test, it turns out to be a porn company. <laughs> no, no. There's a saying that if you A-B test any ad, eventually it can become porn. Like that's <laughs> the most performing thing. And the reality with this is that you have to balance listening to your customers. So for tidycal.com, yeah. that's one of our products at AppSumo, which is a million dollar business. Yeah. Our customers wanted to be able to schedule specific dates. So we spent a month building it and then we launched it and now 1% of people use it, which means 99% of people don't care. Yeah. And then they wanted group scheduling. And we're like, oh, this is a great idea. Launched it. I think it's less than half percent. And so it's in balance of what is your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Like who's the customer you're trying to help with? And being mindful, like how much you're catering to the the loud minority versus the 99% of the audience and what they're actually using the product for. Yeah. And so it, it is a little bit of an art and science and balance being able to make sure your customers are happy, but thinking about is this the 1% or is this the 99%? Yeah. Speaking of balance, like how do you think about like balancing your own life with all of your business ambitions? I mean, now, I mean, you said it here, I don't, I don't know if you've talked about it publicly, but you're about to come into that. Yeah. You know, I know firsthand like how much of a life change that is. You know, you have the YouTube channel, you're hiking, you're doing your hobby. Like how how do you balance and and how do you think about life outside of work as you enter this new chapter in your life? If you ask my baby mama, which sounds kind of cool to say, (laughs) she would say I work too much. Yeah. I'm at a point where I love what I'm doing. That's the reality. It's like, and that's available for everyone. Find the thing you really enjoy working on. Now, the more complicated answer is like, how do you manage these? There's really three different full-time businesses. Yeah. And for me, the way I like to think about it is like, is there a clear goal for each of these different businesses? So AppSumo has 45 million net revenue. YouTube, this year's goal was 750,000 subs. The book has a thousand reviews. Okay, clear goals. Now, is there a clear leadership and accountability in each of these different areas to help support making sure that those happen? Because I can't clearly do great in all those areas. Yeah. So you have Jeremy and now Dylan on the YouTube team. There's Tommy on the book team. And then there's Alona, Sean, and Chad on the AppSumo team. And now within each of these different groups, Let's take AppSumo, for instance, is there clear scorecards? And I think scorecards are one of the best ways you can run any type of business. And to have three scores per card per person, that makes it super easy that if I go away or I'm spending the day hanging out with you, people know what the score of success is for themselves. Give me one example of a scorecard. So Sean is our head of revenue at AppSumo, his scorecard. And how actively are you refreshing the scorecard? Every quarter. Every quarter. So this is one of Sean's more recent scorecards. So he had three specific goals. One is net revenue at 10.7 million. Second was gross profit improvements. So he had three specific projects, but really it's an outcome. So yeah. let him choose whatever products he does yeah. and wants to do, but improve gross profit. And number four is grow revenue for our upcoming year. So he was testing out different ideas. One of our AppSumo values is test then invest. And so he's testing different ideas for what we can do. This was he's doing this quarter that we can do in our upcoming year. And so he's very clear. This is something that he recommended based yeah. on knowing what we want to do. 
And then we go over it, we agree on it, and then he knows how to execute towards this thing. What does the score sheet look like for the YouTube channel? So for the YouTube channel right now, it's to get to 750,000 subs. Yeah. And how do we do two good videos a month? The scorecard for YouTube is really, really easy. Two great videos a month. Yeah. And this has been the most surprising change in my leadership style is that I used to set 10x goals and see all these books, 10x. My goals now are 0.1x. I know that's counterintuitive, but our, our YouTube goal, we started the year at about half a million and our goal is to get to 750,000. You're like, that's like, you're probably going to get there no matter what. But by setting less ambitious goals, we have more creative freedom. We're not stressing how to just hit the goal. And that has led us now, I think we had a million. So we doubled, even though that's, we weren't trying to get to a million necessarily. Yeah. And so the same thing goes for AppSumo is that each year now, instead of trying to double or 50x, whatever it is, 50%, we're trying to do about a 7 and 10% growth. And what I've noticed for myself is how do we have more longevity and sustainability? And so you apply that to all these different things. You have leadership, you have goals, they have very clear accountability for themselves and what they want to be doing. Yeah. And then my job is to be advising and supporting. And I cannot believe this in my life. And as I'm becoming a father, I don't want to fly. I want to be a good father. I want to be present for my partner and for our child. And so it's adjusting my schedule where I'm not flying for videos and I'm stopping work at six. And then it's prioritizing better that, okay, I'm not going to do all this stuff. So if I want to do videos, I'm going to record them at home. I'm not going to go on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and adjusting the things I'm doing. So it's less things, which is really just these four categories, girlfriend, YouTube, AppSumo book, and only doing that. Knowing that, now I'm curious to learn a bit more. What was your childhood like? It was interesting. Everyone grows up in an interesting family. I was lucky that I was in the Bay Area, two miles from Apple headquarters. Mm. I was lucky as well that a household, it was interesting with my parents. My mom and stepfather had normal jobs. My stepfather was an engineer, my mom's a nurse, and then my biological dad uh, sold copiers door to door. And it was these two literally yin and yang experiences. My dad smoked weed every day. We'd be in the car, my dad would be smoking weed and driving. And I'm like, dude, I'm like 10 sitting on a bucket and he'd have his copiers and there'd be garbage all over this van. And I remember going with him to when he did cold calls. And he would just go knock on people like, hey, do you want a copier? And he'd do that. He didn't speak English very well. Yeah. He's from Israel. And I remember being just so embarrassed and uncomfortable being around him, but he, he was fearless in these things. Mm. And he was messy and disorganized and he ended up losing it all, which definitely had an impact on, on how I ran AppSumo and the fear of losing all the things I created. And on the other side, I had these very, I would say, straight edge parents, Yeah, never drank in the household, uh, had a job, always were about health insurance, were about saving, being practical and frugal, very traditional jobs. Mm. And so the idea of ever starting their own business, quitting Intel to them was like the craziest thing I could ever do. They're like, why would you quit Intel? And I felt lucky that I got to have both of those experiences. And I think that led me then to take the tech engineering of my stepfather and then the, the sales entrepreneurship of my dad yeah. and bring those together. I knew that I didn't want to carry copiers. I just saw him lugging these very heavy machines, dirty with toner all over his hands. And I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't ask me to take over that business. <laughs> I remember being like a little kid. We'd go get burritos afterwards when he would work. And I was like, oh, I hope you don't want me to do coffee. Man, that's like, that's a rough job. And then on the other side, my mom complained every day. She complained every day about being there. She hated the patients. It kind of instilled in me like, okay, I like the freedom of an entrepreneurship. I don't want to hate my work every single day of my life. And that led me down the path of like, okay, how do I just start doing entrepreneurship myself that can lead me to having a job I'd actually like? So from an early age, I was just trying to always sell things. I was selling magazines. I got stuff at Costco, sold it at school. And I was always starting to like in high school as well, just like, okay, let me start starting some businesses. Mm. I think my childhood just exposed me. And so I was exposed to entrepreneurship. I was exposed to tech and in just a really good environment where I went to the high school. My public high school was one of the top in the country, just coincidentally, wasn't intentional. And one of the guys sold his company to Cisco for a billion. Another guy, John, sold his company to Zynga. My best friend was number 20 at Lyft. My other best friend, Marty, was early at Stripe. Now he works at Google. And that's the norm. And so 
one of the ways I think about myself is I got to be in this elite, elite environment and I get to bring that to the people who don't get a chance to live there. I get to say, I've learned from Zuckerberg. I learned from all these people that I was around. I learned what elite and the high standards look like in, in a business setting that now I live in Texas and I spend time in Europe. I can share those kind of experiences with people who may not get that chance. What did you learn from Zuckerberg? And give context for the folks who don't know. You worked yeah. at Facebook, one of the earlier employees. Yeah, so I was, number 30, number? At, yeah, I was number 30 at Facebook. Yeah. And things I learned from Zuckerberg, one, he just had a giant vision. He had something to put on the calendar. And what I mean by that is have something to look forward to. And he's like, we're going to take over the whole world. I was like, that sounds cool. I want to be part of that. And it was exciting. And whatever it is you're doing, whether it's dentistry, whether it's coaching, or at Absumo, we're going to be the best place to promote software tools. Sounds awesome. There's so many cool ways we can promote more software tools for solopreneurs. I'm excited for that. And so he had just a giant vision to connect the entire world. That was super great. Number two thing I learned from Zuckerberg, have an extreme focus, extreme focus. Like he was saying, if we're trying to grow to a billion people, I was like, Zuck, Zuck, can we just try to make some money? That was what I was trying to do because I'm more traditional. I'm not someone who wants to, I don't want to have investors. I don't want to have to try to have to make money. And he was like, no, we're going to get to a billion users. Yeah. And he was so focused on that and nothing else besides that matter. And I've taken that to this day. But even as I run AppSumo, singular goal, YouTube channel, singular goal, book, singular goal. Definitely copied that from him. Another thing from Zuck, which is pretty interesting, was having coaches. So at AppSumo, every single executive leader has a coach. And Zuck, at an early age, 24, was surrounding himself. He had a business coach. And I, I wondered, like, why do you have a business coach? You're smart. And coaches can reflect a lot of things to you. So I have a CEO coach. I have a, a business coach. I have a marketing coach. I have an operational, like, guy who knows how to run operations. He's the GM of Indeed.com. So I have a lot of coaches for myself and all the rest of the leadership team. It's one of the best cheat codes is you can get 10,000 hours from these other people. Yeah. That's something that Zuck was really smart about doing, getting Benchmark as an investor, having Peter Thiel around, having Sean Parker around, yeah. having this other business coach around, I mean, you know, many more beyond that. He had ways of running the business that were different. He would pay for our parking tickets. What do you mean? He was like, hey, if you get a parking ticket, it's fine. It's only 20 bucks and at least you can park closer to the office. Huh. And I remember thinking that, how different he's thinking about it. Like most people are like, I don't want a parking ticket. I don't want to do it. That he's like, it's only 20, 30, 40 bucks. And now you can have more convenience when you come to the office. Yeah, just get a parking ticket. Yeah. And he did these perks that weren't normal at the time, like doing laundry, or he would actually help subsidize your rent if you lived within a few miles of the office. Mm. And that wasn't normal. Maybe those things now are, are more common. I do remember him really, how do you remove the, re the restrictions or the distractions in people's lives to make it easier for them to do their work? The other thing he did a really interesting job was hiring. He used his product to hire people that liked the product. So he used Facebook to advertise for people to come work. And we had people with Harvard PhDs doing our customer support. And I remember thinking it was really clever that he got people who liked the product. Like, I want people at AppSumo who buy AppSumo deals. Yeah, yeah. I like people who are on YouTube that watch some of the YouTube videos, joining our YouTube team. Or beta Tom. readers for the book. Yeah, 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 so beta readers for the book. Tommy Dixon, who is the book marketer, he's the, the leader for Million Dollar Weekend. He loves books. I was like, Tommy, you going to do other stuff? He's like, no, I just want to do book stuff. I like books. And uh, Zuck found people that liked the product and just really solid people in these different categories. It was really impressive. There was a lot of stuff from a 24-year-old. Obviously, AppSumo has become a big success, but I'm curious, take me in those early days or even before now, yeah. what are the key lessons that you learned that helped you make it more successful? Yeah. One of the things I've, I've noticed for myself and for a lot of people who've created businesses is that they've tried a lot of things that did not work. Mm -hmm. And it's that they were in experimentation mode to say, all right, let me try to find something that worked. And all those things led up to me finally being able to have and launch AppSumo, which yeah. then did work. So we did Bet Arcade where we spent $100,000 trying to build a sports gambling site and no one came. Mm. Okay, maybe I shouldn't spend all this money to do something that no one wants. Then I created Facebook games. So I was at mint.com and I really wanted my own business, my freedom number of $3,000. So I saw that Facebook platform opened up. I launched a game in a weekend, the hockey fan, and it instantly got viral. 
I started, it was like, oh, I put uh, Amazon affiliate links in it. And I started making money that way. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is working. That's interesting. That led us into doing payments for games. So we made games and it was like, oh, but payments for games is actually our problem. That created a $20 million business in a year. What happened though, what was fascinating was number one, when we were doing payments, people didn't actually value us. What they valued was getting customers. And what we realized is that Facebook banned us one day and we lost all of our money. And so like, oh, we don't control the, the platform. We don't control the outcome. So all of these things just by doing, and then this is what I want everyone to get started right now. So that in 10 years, you'll thank yourself today for getting going. So from all these things, the games, okay, well, there's some parts that I can pick from that. So it's like taking all these different little pieces. All right. People want customers. They don't want me to be an infrastructure solution. Yeah. People have problems with marketing. That was something I noticed at mint.com. Oh, marketing is super valuable. Huh? Maybe all these different things by just keep trying, keep trying, led me to then as I got to AppSumo. And I think most people are just doing the first one and it didn't work. I don't know. No, just keep staying in, keep swinging. So I, I think that's such a valuable lesson within everyone. It's like, get started and that will lead you to the place. And you have 52 weekends to get something going. You're now 40 years old. Is that right? Yeah. Am I outing you by saying that? No, no, 41. Yeah. And, 41. and by the way, skincare, everyone be lotioning. Guys, girls are already doing it, but guys, put on yeah. the lotion, put on the sunblock. Cleanser, toner. Come on, the whole thing, man. You got to do Literally, my most popular email in the past year was in you know, skincare routine. Skincare routine. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Beyond good skincare, take me back. 40 years, 41 years of life, what, what are some of the things that you wish you knew earlier? What are things you wish you could say you younger know? What are some of the things you wish you could say to your parents? A few things. One, my one of my biggest regrets is partner selection in dating. Okay. And I didn't realize how much I only focused on work. And with partners, I just kind of, I got whatever was available. I was like, oh, you like me and you'll be with me? Fine. I just stay around. And asking, one of the things about asking is if you ask for something, you can get it. If you don't ask, you don't get it. And I didn't really ask myself, what do I really want in a partner and how do I be more selective and intentional? So Mafe, who's my partner now, I, it's like, man, I wish I could find her and been more intentional to find her at an earlier age. Yeah. I just wasn't ready for it. I wasn't thinking about it that way. I was like, okay, you're available. Cool. Just hang out. So that's probably one of my bigger regrets around just in general, like 15 years of not really paying attention to that. You were engaged before, right? I was engaged as you well. And I would say, yeah. And I, I, that was a part of what I thought I was supposed to do. Like, okay, I'm supposed to have a job. I'm supposed to then work at Intel and there's nothing wrong with her, but there's just, I think we all know these answers a lot of the time. We're just don't want to admit it. We don't want to face it. We're afraid. And I was like, well, it's not great, but I guess it's like this and we'll maybe work it out. But there was this voice in my head that was like, dude, this is not for you. Yeah. It was a really hard decision. It's been also one of the harder, but best decisions to end that engagement. Uh, and it took a long time. I, I, I would say wasted her time and wasted two years of my time, like delaying that and fucking rigging it out. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. I mean, but that was the hard thing that, thank God I faced it, that led me to be able to find peace within myself yeah. and find peace being alone. That was something I've been always afraid of. My weekend, even with business, like my favorite day is Monday because there's work and everyone there's, is around. And when I'm alone on a weekend, I was I had so much anxiety. That comes from my childhood. My dad would go to work on weekends and leave me home alone. And I just wanted someone to be with me. And yeah. so it's working through parenting myself, working through being calm and be like, it's okay. You're alone. Like you don't have to go be distracted. You don't have to get on your phone. Just like be here by yourself. You'll be fine. And through practicing that, it made me find that I was finally ready to be with someone else. I think the other comment for other people out there, I wish I told myself like everything's going to work out. Everything really does work out. And I created so much anxiety. I think we all do. Like I'm not married. I don't have the money. I don't have this thing. I'm not having my business work right away. And it's like stick with it and have be optimistic. That's something I'm definitely better at now that I'm 40. And if I was just a little bit more kind to myself, if I was a little bit more patient, it did work out at 40. Thank God it didn't have to take till 60. Yeah. 
I would have enjoyed the whole process a lot more versus creating so much anxiety of like, Facebook ruined me and this thing didn't work in me. It's like, patient, it'll work out. Have a little optimism around these things. Yes. That is that favorite quote I have that's, um, everything will be all right in the end. And it's not all right. It's not the end yet. So I totally agree. Be nice to Noah. That was a thing. Oh, yeah. You had as a annual mantra. Yeah, I still do. Be kind. Why did you have to tell that to yourself? And what are some of the ways that you've been unkind to yourself in the past 40 years? Oh, man. I noticed for myself and most of us, if you took out your inner voice, the voice in their head, which you all have, and you put it as a person, it'd literally be the worst person on the planet. Everyone's self-talk, what I've noticed, is almost super critical. Like, oh, you didn't do this. Oh, you didn't exercise. Oh, you're not making enough money. Oh, that person's better. It's like, dude, who is this voice? Like one of the greatest books about that is Surrender Experiment. Uh-huh. Trying to understand these voices in our head. And I just noticed that there's so many times in my day that I'm just talking negative to myself. And so be kind to Noah or be nice to Noah. Be kind is what it's simplified to. Was just as negative things are coming up, how do I just at least be okay that there's a negative talk and then have a, a positive comment? And then as I do things throughout the day, how do I just have more positive reinforcement to myself? and be my own parent, be my own happy coach to myself. And it's funny, the first thing that come to my mind is mountain biking, where I would go up a little rock and be like, hey, I'm really proud of you. And this is a bigger concept for a lot of people out there is how do we remove the external validation that I need John saying I did a good job. Mm-hmm. I need views saying I did a good job. I need this money, which I chased for so long saying I did a good job. And finally come back to myself and be like, am I proud of this YouTube video? Maybe God views, maybe it didn't, but am I proud? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. How do I keep doing more of those things and keep building up this positive self-talk so that I feel more positive just in general? I'm more optimistic. I do believe I could find a great partner. I do believe I can actually create a business that I get to enjoy every day. Yeah. But there's just so much of like, oh, you're going to ruin this thing. Oh, you did bad here. Oh, I can't believe you did that. And even you know earlier today, I had an interview where during the interview, I was like, oh man, you're sucking. Oh, wow. This is really bad. You're going to feel really horrible afterwards. And I was like, that's okay to have one thought and then have a second one. And mm-hmm. afterwards, I was like, hey, you're trying out. It may not be great, but you're doing your best here. And that's okay. It's a practice. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you can practice being kind to yourself, totally. It's such a superpower for everyone out there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think recognizing that all of us have that self-talk, but then what's the response? Do you have the self-talk? Yes, but not in every... I don't, I feel like I'm a very, I don't know, optimistic, like happy-go-lucky guy. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I in some moments I do, but I grew up with a dad. My dad was like, you're going to be in the NBA. Like, I'm, I'm a Persian Jew. Like, I'm I'm definitely not going to be in the NBA. And to this day, I'm like, Dad, were you, like, egging me on? Like, were you just yeah, telling me that yeah. to build myself the same? It was like, no, I think I think you'll be in that. I'm like, I'm like, but it's kind of like, you know, like immigrant mentality, blissful ignorance, and, like, believing you could do whatever. And I don't know. I feel like, uh, and so I've had to, like, almost reel in some stuff of, like, okay, if I feel like I could do this, how can I um, just be more pragmatic about how that may happen? Yeah. Or it's like, okay, I'm not going to be in the NBA, but... If I feel that passion about basketball, is there a way I could be in the front office? So it's like, I, I don't know, like thinking about it more like that. But, you know, I have negative self-talk. It's just like now being a dad, like there's a new experience where I'm like, okay, am I doing the best I can? So there's yeah, a dad I, one that someone would mention to me, which is like, how would you talk to your baby? Yeah. And then use that as a voice that you talk to yourself. Because I'm sure when you talk to your, your child, you're not like, no, I'm, you're not. In, it's like, no, oh, it's okay. Yeah. It'll be yeah. Okay. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes around this that I, I think about this all the time and everyone can copy it is how do you how are you taking your power and i don't mean taking power like controlling people but in situations how do we we like being victims that's what we're doing we're like oh i can sulk i can blame this other person i can say oh my boss did this or this happened that that's giving up power yeah that's something me and my buddy adam gilbert talk about all the time how do we then reframe these conversations be like 
what can I do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Is there something I can do? Yes. Yeah. Is there a positive thing I can say to myself? Is there an outcome I can do? Is there a work I can put in? Yeah, versus just kind of learn. Yeah. yeah. Versus just giving up the power and, and feeling a victim in these different situations. Yeah. It's the same kind of positive self-talk. Like, okay, maybe there's an opportunity for me to change something. Here. Yeah. Dude, I feel like you've laid so much of your heart on just this table and this interview. You've put so many of your thoughts into this book. Any final concluding thoughts you want to leave the audience with, like things that we haven't covered? I feel like uh, if you didn't write this book, you could write your autobiography <laughs> after this. No, I, you know, I've had this the idea for this book, and then there was nothing else like it for about 20 years. And I wanted to have that book. I wish this was the book I had to help overcome my fears, yeah. to learn some immigrant mentality, to be able to get businesses figured out, to be able to grow these businesses. I think what I realized is that we all have a hero's journey in us. And then this is like, what a cool existence. We're on a planet with other interesting people and we can all do whatever we're excited about. The book to me is facing my own hero's journey and then inspiring others, like whatever it is you want to be. Maybe it's to make grocery money. Maybe it's to make a million dollar business, whatever it is. People should, should be entrepreneurs. It's awesome. Like this is a little bit of your motivation that if you've always been wanting to do it, don't wait another two years and ask what if, like change your life in 48 hours. And uh, excited to, to see what it does on earth. Dude, I remember when I first came across okdork.com and like I was working like a terrible investment banking job. It was only three summers. Like I did something in like finance and uh, to not be sitting across from you and talking and just, I don't know, Dude. your thoughts in this book. It's a true honor. So thank you for taking the time. Thanks, man. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go give John some love. John, you shy everywhere. Created.news. Also the book, milliondollarweekend.com. Hell yeah. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, man, I love you. That's it. Before you go, slide in my DMs. I want to hear about this episode and what you thought about it. It's a little bit different flipping the tables. And with the book, at Noah Kagan everywhere, send me pictures. Also, amazing shout outs to the team for making all this magic. Thank you to Jason. You've just been such a stud and you've come through so strong when I know you're going through your own journey. Thank you. Thank you to Jeremy for always coming through. Cam, Tommy stepping up with the book stuff. Sylvie J from Just Everything. Dylan, thank you guys all for the magic you do. Have a tremendous day. (sighs) Who's your favorite person? I want you to say yourself.